日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Hey, welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast. It's the same old, same old with Chris, Nate, and Travis. Hello. Hey. So we'll be,、uh, this time we'll be talking about the myth of the gun. Because, you know, everyone knows that samurai hated guns, right? Obviously. Of course. I mean, <laughs> they, made, they made the movie The Last Samurai about it. Of course, it must be true, right? If, if Tom Cruise endorses it, it's got to be true. That's right. So that's basically what we'll be tackling today the myth of the gun. And in a future episode, we'll look at some other myths, but today we'll focus on the gun itself. So,、uh, well, in regards to, of course, samurai hating guns,、uh, well, we just did、uh, two podcasts worth of、uh, samurai fighting with guns. So that alone should be enough to sort of put that myth to bed. But, of course, during the Edo period, after the wars were finished,、uh, people like Noel Perrin, who wrote Giving Up the Gun, Like to say that the samurai gave up the gun and went back to the sword.、Yeah. And that's basically the myth that we're going to tackle today. And I mean, you can see,、uh, you can see on our forums, you can see、oh, just in general, there's a, a lot of people always talking about the samurai having, having lots of honor and, and, and you know, being just really attached to their swords and, not, and hating the guns. So, yeah, and again, you can、uh, see you know, where that's coming from. Yeah, I mean, you, we, we can sit here and list. Individual uses of guns by samurai、uh, from 15, the mid 1540s you know, on、uh, ad nauseum, but there are still going to be people who hold on to this romantic notion.、Uh, and even though we provide evidence of, look, hey, you know, guns used at this point by samurai, they'll come back at us and say, Oh, well, you know, they were only used by the lower class, and, 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 and <laughs> you know, they were not the true、uh, samurai lords, didn't、uh, use them themselves. The true honorable、so、samurai. Which is、uh, ridiculous because Oda Nobunaga、yeah. himself, you know, had, had fun firing guns.、So. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, samurai, <laughs> you know, upper level samurai used them,、uh, them themselves. Some of them used it for hunting, others used it on the battlefield,、uh, took pride in their ability to. To use the, the weapons themselves. So, all, all of that's ridiculous, and there's plenty of stuff out there that,、uh, that shows that, especially during the Sengoku period,、uh, the samurai certainly didn't think、uh, guns were Dishonor- dishonorable、yeah. or, or shouldn't be used. Uh, um, it, it's a, important to point out that this was a time of warfare, and if you, know, you didn't use every advantage that came your way, you Lost, and when you lost, you at the very、uh, least you lost your independence, at the very worst, you lost your head. So,、uh, you were going to use whatever you could to、uh, keep your position. I think mainly、uh, people focus on the Edo period, and again, via Noel Perrin, who now I, I've seen some pretty nasty things written about his、uh, book in academia. Basically, no one takes his book even remotely seriously. Uh, I did find this quote、uh, again from the article that I mentioned in the previous、uh, podcast, or maybe the one before that, Reinventing the Sword by Charles Etheridge.、Uh, basically,、uh, a quote from his here says,、uh, in regards to the samurai giving up the gun, the source of the Japanese giving up the gun myth is Noel Perrin's 1979 book. Like many other myths, it did not even originate with the people whose mentality it purports to illustrate. Perrin's argument is not taken seriously by specialists in this period of Japanese history, be they Japanese or otherwise. 
When the book was translated into Japanese in 1984, the Japanese translator commented in the postscript, and I quote, this book does not take as its goal the empirical examination of the events of the past. And then he goes on to say, unfortunately, Perrin's work is still cited all too frequently by historians who, like Perrin, do not read Japanese and are unfamiliar with Japanese history. Basically, this 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 uh, mainly yeah. comes, you know, is mainly people like Parker or European historians. In other words, not historians from Europe, but people who focus on European history, Western history, who sort of, as a side note, touch on Japan. I I, I wouldn't lump Parker in with that because he's a well, flaws yeah, that he, we've outlined right. in in his you know causal analysis of of things. He is a good historian, and I mean, he gets he does have his facts straight for the most part. So I, I mean, I, I, he he actually cites Perrin as as a bad example, or as a as someone who uh, doesn't understand what they're talking about himself. So uh, I, I wouldn't lump Parker in with him, but yeah, I, you see people like you said who tangent, tangentially are using Japanese right, history kind of, information. Um, and you also see it, let's face it, this is something that drives us crazy as, as uh, administrators on the Samurai Archives message board because it's, it's not academics necessarily who focus on Japan. Focus on Japan. It's uh, the people who come up and, and their impressions are formed by movies and comic books and anime and video games. And yeah. kind of scattered popular level books about just how right. cool samurai so, are. And then, so you know. to, to them, you know, they go do a search in the library or, or on the internet or whatever and uh, Giving Up the Gun by Noel Perrin pops into their search uh, engine or, or card catalog. and not trying to, to put these people down or anything, but they don't have enough of a historical background to understand that this guy doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. And in regards to that, uh, actually there's a Wikipedia article, I think it's called Guns in Japan or something like that, I don't know, I'd have to look again, but that, that article is basically, the entire article is based on Perrin's book. It, every, nearly every citation comes directly from his book. Uh, I mentioned Samurai disliked guns, it was against tradition, uh, which isn't the case. I mean, I found evidence of uh, 200 gunsmiths in Japan by the end of the Edo period. Also, information on guns being licensed for hunting and security. Uh, they were used, they were produced. You know, if anyone wants to cor- correct Wikipedia by setting this podcast, uh, go ahead. Use the exposure. Yeah, the, I mean, it's, it's really kind of sad how part of the problem is that Perrin's book was published in, uh, I believe, 1979. That's right. Uh, there wasn't very much other information about this topic out there. Um, and one of the great things or horrible things, depending on your viewpoint, of being the first one to publish, you're the first one cited. You're the first information found. and First place that everyone um, goes to. Even though one. later academics can <clears throat> go back and say, you know, Perrin doesn't have a clue what he was talking about. Nobody's going to read those articles. Nobody's going to read those articles. Everybody's just going to find the book in the library and go, oh, see, this is the way it was. And unfortunately, theatrical representations like uh, the, last uh, the Last Samurai in particular um, Which I actually reinforce. Which regardless. <laughs> I, I liked it. I, how did we describe it at the time it came out? Um, the Last Samurai is a great movie if you take it as fantasy in something a, like that. Yeah, in a magical land that is sort of loosely resembles Japan. Japan. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's let's face it. You know, it's it's loosely based on the story of Saigo Takamori, Saigo Takamori and the Satsuma Rebellion uh, in uh, 1877. I mean, I've, I've been to the battlefields uh, where you know, his army fought the loyalist Meiji 
uh, Imperial Army, and both sides used guns, both sides used cannon. Uh, you, you weren't going to win a battle and by charging into Gatling, by guns, charging into Gatling guns, and they knew this, and there was never a, any thought of uh, trying to defend the old ways of holding on to only swords being used. I mean, that was garbage. Uh, that's, that's, it makes for a great, wonderful movie, but is in, was in no way, shape, or form reality. So that uh, was terrible. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article. It is terrible. So, again, if you want to cite this podcast, please do so. Um, Also, so I think uh, from this point on, we really should try to get historical examples. So, I mean, we spent a lot of time lambasting the other side, but we should probably uh, back up what we're saying with actual information. Sure. Sure. So, I have a little bit here. Um, This is, of course, just a little tiny. Here's an example, and this is in the 19th century. This is far into the Edo period, and if Japan had given up the gun, then by the 19th century, there really wouldn't be anything left. But uh, in 1804, uh, a Russian by the name of Nikolai Petrov Rezanov, uh, Petrovich Rezanov, uh, he was a manager of the Russo-American Company uh, established in Russia for the development of East Asia. He came to Nagasaki in 1804 as a special envoy uh, with his own trade proposals, and he was basically rebuffed by the Japanese, or they basically wanted no part of it. And so in vengeance, he instructed uh, first Lieutenant Nikolai Kostov uh, to uh, take his armed warship and wreak havoc in the, uh, the northern islands of uh, the Kuril Islands and Sakhalin. And uh, this guy really comes across as a pirate. I, I, apparently he's in the, the Russian military, but he acts like a pirate. He uh, arrived at Aniwa Bay in Sakhalin on September 12, 1806. He invaded a warehouse of the Matsumaya clan and captured Tomigoro, a caretaker of the warehouse, and three others. And since at this time the route to Hakodate was closed because the fishing season was over, the Matsumai leaders did not hear of the Russian attack until April 6, 1807, so about six months later. So he's doing these little raids. Uh, he spent the, the winter in Russia, and then the next spring he went back to the Creel Islands uh, with, a, with a second ship, basically two ships went. Uh, they were e- eager for a rich prize, and uh, they wanted to liberate the islanders from the Japanese tyranny. Uh, and I'm quoting this here. Uh, so basically they sailed to Etoroku, uh, cast anchor in Naibo Bay, and went to shore. Uh, they plundered a warehouse, uh, captured some caretakers, uh, and attacked the headquarters of the area. Uh, basically... Uh, a really bad time to be a caretaker for the Matsumaya clan. Exactly. I, I, take it. I don't even know what that means. Is that a janitor? <laughs> but uh, this is sort of the point I'm getting to, is they the settlement here was large and fortified, and according to this article, they actually had a gun battle with the forces of the Nambu and Sugaru clans. And uh, the Russians actually won the battle and captured the warehouse. So I guess they got, I don't know, salted fish and uh, stuff like that. Bear skins. Bear skins and salted fish. But nevertheless, it was a gun battle. It was, exactly. These clans, all the way out on the fringes, on the edges, Yeah, this is the Yeah, and this is 1804. I guess the argument could be made that they're they're closer to Russia. They're more likely to be attacked by Russians, and so they're there to defend themselves. But... At the same time, yeah, they're they're at the far reaches of the empire, uh, and and uh, they're not only are they, they engaging in gun battles with the Russians. This is 18 well at this time 1806, 1807, uh, which is far into the Edo period, and I also have evidence here of uh, the Nambu clan, uh, the Nambu clan who was uh, I guess under the auspices of the uh, Matsumaya clan. Uh, had uh, gunnery instructors, uh, for example, Omura Jigohei. He was uh, 1752 to 1813. He was a gunnery, gunnery instructor for the Nambu clan, and he, he wrote gunnery manuals. And, you know, again, this is far into the Edo period, and we still have a, a, gunnery, a gunnery instructor. 
We have people, uh, enough armed men to uh, fight Russians in a gun battle. Um, there's a lot of things going on here that really sort of dispute the uh, samurai giving up the gun thing. And again, you know, the argument could be made that they're at the far reaches. They're worried about the Russians, but uh, I, I think I don't it's even more valid if they're all the way out, out on out on the and the edges and the reaches, you know, that and they had guns, and, and, yeah. and even they had guns exactly. They yeah, had the supply and well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you you read if you read accounts of the uh, the Perry visit to Japan in the mid eighteen fifties, and I mean, he they they mentioned the they find the Japanese having guns. The the difference is they were old and not really they were old advanced, and but. yes, I mean, they hadn't advanced very much since. The guns we were talking about in the previous podcast, the the old matchlock uh, system, um, they were aware of developments going on in Europe and uh, and so forth because they had information brought to them through uh, their Dutch. trade with the Dutch. Um, and I believe uh, I can't remember the name of the Dutch doctor, but uh, in the late 1700s, who wrote a bunch of, of his observations. I want to say Sadro or something like that. You know, I, I've got a book that's uh, basically his writings from from that time, and he mentions the fact that they that they have guns, even though they're not advanced guns. Uh, you know, of a comparable modernity or a technological capability with European weapons, they have them. The Tokugawa, as soon as they were threatened with the the, the advent of, of you know Perry coming in and and demanding that they open their ports. I mean, they uh, tried the Seahold. That's it. They went back into their arsenals and pulled out a bunch of old cannon that they had and set them up in uh, locations around Tokyo Bay, which is uh, one of the reasons why, if you know that, if you know Tokyo at, at all, there's a, a place called Odaiba, uh, oh, which right. was named such because that was one of the larger cannon emplacements. Uh, a Daiba being a emplacement location. What are the you know the the point of all this is that yes they existed. One of the things that gives the impression that the Japanese the samurai ignored them after the Edo period or decided to give them up is the fact that we don't see accounts of uh, warfare and battles using guns uh, into the Edo period. Well. The obvious thing that people who put forth this uh, notion of them giving up the gun are missing is that we don't read any accounts of battles or uh, fighting with any weapons into the Edo period because they didn't happen. Well, we do have the Shimabara Rebellion, which, where guns were which, used, exactly, which, which had the, so the few examples right. of battles. I mean, in the as Edo we period. go forth, you know, in, into the later 16th, 1600s, the 1700s, and and then eventually into the 1800s. I mean, this was a period of peace. And you could also say that guns were not necessary, but, but samurai who wore their swords as badges, of course they're going to use, learn, you know, go to sword schools, learn fighting styles, right. just about wear the swords, because, right. because they're carrying them on their person all the time. Right. And, and because the whole, the, the practice of the sword, I mean, the practice, sword schools and all this kind of stuff, is just is so tied into the samurai attempting to still figure be, out be what, what it means. Yeah, just what does it mean to be samurai? What does it mean to live a samurai lifestyle? You know, and there's so many activities that are looked down upon for samurai. I mean, I think that that's a whole we could go on and on about the myths of that, right. about the myth that samurai didn't touch money or whatever. But nevertheless, you know, what does it mean to be a samurai? Well, it means to, to be good with a sword, and it means you to be 
to, to live and work. Not even to be good with a sword necessarily, but, but just to be involved. To carry, it was a badge of, yeah, like, you're, by so this point. You're so, not carrying a gun as a badge. You're carrying, right. you're not a, a Western, uh, a wild Western sheriff. And so. so you have all of these discourses emerging about the soul of the samurai being in his sword and the importance of the sword. I mean, I don't know exactly how how well read Hagakure and um, um, the five, uh, what's called the Book of the Five Rings were during exactly. the Edo period, if everybody read them or not. But in any case, those kinds of things are coming around in the Edo period, not earlier, right. when the samurai were actually fighting people. And so it's just sort of, it, it, the sword kind of takes on a more spiritual role, we want to say, maybe? I don't know. Right, I mean, it, it, it becomes a shadow symbol of, the sam- of samurai status and samurai being different from everybody else in Japanese society. Right. So it's not necessarily that they gave up the gun and said, you're, you're carrying a sword 24 hours a day, you're right. not carrying a musket or right. a Right, it becomes matchlock. a symbol of social status. And, and, and so, because of that, you know, other weapons, not just the, not gun, just the gun, but um, other weapons kind of recede back into, into, the, uh, into the background because they weren't fighting I mean, it's at this mostly time. utilitarian reasons. Yes, they, they, I mean... This was not an age of warfare. This was an age of if anybody was was getting into a uh, physical confrontation and using a weapon, it was a sword because that's what they carried on them at any given time. You know, it it wasn't like, wait, I'm angry with you. Let me go run back to my arsenal and get out my gun. Or or, even if you had it, you've got to take the time to load the weapon, prep it, get it, aim and fire while they're charging on you. Right, whereas, you know, if a a peasant is disrespecting you, then you can just whip out your sword and and lop off their head and then, you know, be on your way. Um, I think even even as people, and I'm sure that people did continue to practice you know, Kyujutsu and, and Naginata Jutsu, and, and there are definitely schools of practicing those kinds of things. Right. Even so, just this idea of the sword being so um, so associated with the soul of the samurai and so connected to the person who carries it or whatever, I mean, I, I don't think it would be entirely far off to say that, that bows and Naginata and all kinds of weapons were now being considered just weapons compared to the sword. That's, so that's, that's, that's a very important point. That's a very so important point. it's not just point. the gun that's and, being quote unquote given out. Right. And, all and, weapons and, are... And ta- to, to stress how this is an Edo period development, if you look through um, both, uh, w- there's several scholars who've done a, a lot of extensive research into battlefield wound rosters, um, because this is one of the ways that uh, during the Sengoku period and earlier that people would get rewarded for their service was, look, I lost my arm, uh, compensate me. Right. Uh, so you have meticulous lists of, you know, this person was wounded in the right eye by an arrow, this person was shot through the leg by a bullet, this, you know, and, and so forth. Particularly in my own research, I've, I've relied on Conlon's uh, analysis of this, but uh, you see that in the period when battles were actually occurring, so prior to 1600-1615 timeframe, sword wounds are actually the least annotated method of being wounded. On the battlefield, swords are, they're, they're really for, in modern armies, when you carry, you know, I carry a, a, a nine mil, uh, or, or yeah, a bayonet even, but um, you know, you carry a, a pistol, uh, but you also carry an M16 or an M4 or you know, some sort of automatic uh, rifle. And if you have to use your, your pistol, then that's because your primary weapon is not available for use. It was the same, kind of the same thing on the battlefield during the Sengoku period. I mean, most samurai carried a, you know, a spear, or some of them actually used guns, uh, and their swords were 
a sidearm for use if necessary, but they were not the primary weapon, and, and this is reflected in these battlefield uh, lists of uh, wounds and, and, and dead. And while, while in the Edo period, if we're, if we're talking about samurai dueling in the streets or, or dueling inside the dojos or something like this, and you have this image of people squaring off one-on-one, I, I can't speak to this definitively, but I'm pretty sure that when you imagine Sengoku battles, thousands of men on the field, this whole idea of the honorable one-on-one fighting fight it's just, it, I can't imagine it happening. I can't imagine thousands of men standing by while, while two men have an honorable sword. Well, that's sort of one on one. They really do that. Very so. Infrequently, there was an occasional. There's that whole like Shingen that, Kenshin myth. I don't yeah. know if that actually happened or not. But in any case, but just the, that, that whole idea of, of the sword being so prized, it, I would assume it comes about almost entirely. Well, and, and, and part of that also, I mean, if, if you go even earlier into Japanese history, look at, like, uh, during the Heian uh, period and, and so forth, moving, moving into the Genpei, prior to the Genpei, it was, at least according to the war tales, uh, and the, so the written uh, descriptions of it, we have scenes of you know, samurai warriors announcing their lineage and challenging, uh, you yeah, know, members of the other yeah. other side uh, to one-on-one uh, battles. Uh, yes, that's one point that people don't uh, often remember is that these were not necessarily sword battles; that these were archery duels from horseback, where they were galloping around trying to kill each other with arrows uh, from horseback. On top of that, these are depictions in works of literature. They are not histories, they are works of literature, so they are being built up as this is the way things were in the old times and, and so forth. You'll, uh, you'll notice going through these war tales that they never mention the foot soldiers. That doesn't mean that foot soldiers weren't there and they weren't carrying spears. They, it means that they were not important enough to be noted in these stories to be read by the upper class. The same thing continues on through the Sengoku period into the Edo, and this is why you see this importance of the, the one-on-one duel in the Edo period. You're not going to be dueling with pistols when you carry a sword with you all the time. Uh, Plus, they didn't have anything as manageable as a pistol in the early Edo period anyway. Right, I, and I, again, that goes back to the fact that warfare effectively stopped with the beginning of the Edo period. That's the reason why when Perry and, and the, the Russian uh, pirates show up and, and Well, and so they weren't necessarily pirates, although they acted like them. Yeah, but I, I like to say pirates. It, it makes for a cooler image. Um, <laughs> When these, you know, when these contact with Europeans of the 1800s happens, and they see Japanese guns, and they see, oh, they don't have, they don't have weapon, you know, their weapons are so old, and uh, they must have given them up. No, it's because they had no incentive to develop guns. Europe at this time was one of constant warfare, continuing on from right. the 1500s up until. Well, you know, World War Two, and plus and we so already forth. established that the Japanese were were already ahead of things with the gun while they were actually using them. Right, technologically, as, as and, they were uh, using the gun, the they gun. were ahead of them in both technological development of the gun and also in uh, the development of the tactics to employ them. Once they stopped using them, why figure out and again, how to make a better gun when no you don't to need at. to make a better gun? You know, there's nobody to 
Which is not to say that they gave them up for any kind of honorable purposes. Right. Again, I I mentioned... It's uh, all a a matter of practical use. Yeah, a lot of this, uh, again, I mentioned, uh, you know, reinventing the sword. And uh, the citation will be on the uh, podcast website. But, uh, yeah, they they had licenses. Uh, They had gun licenses, actually, or they were licensed. I don't know if that necessarily means they had a piece of paper that was a license. But uh, for hunting, security, target shooting... Japan, probably. Yeah, True. Uh, but Stand yeah, the were, Red uh, Seal. Yes. But yeah, and they also had uh, about 200 uh, gunsmiths uh, during the Edo period. So 200 gunsmiths and a licensing for security and uh, uh, hunting. So yeah, it was. Uh, they were there. It was basically, uh, it, it's just they were unwieldy. So uh, so and you're carrying a sword anyway. So what if it's something is unwieldy and you're carrying another weapon? Why would you even bother to use a gun? Because not only do you have to carry your gun, you've got to carry your powder, you've got to carry your bullets, you've got to carry your your mash. No war going on to carry the gun to exactly right. Not to mention (laughs) the fact that in, for example, the 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 Wild West, the gunfighters weren't carrying around long-barreled shotguns; they were carrying around pistols because they're easy to conceal, they're quick to use, and they're easy to handle. They weren't they weren't carrying around long-barreled weapons all the time. Although I'm sure there were, there's always exceptions, but generally speaking, uh, a gun, you know, a big. Uh, especially a, a muzzle-loading muzzle gun loader, yeah. is is just not very wieldy if you're not in a battle formation waiting for someone to charge you. If you're in a if you're in a bar fight, <laughs> a muzzle-loaded uh, arquebus is, is really not going to do a damn thing unless you hit someone over the head with a stock. That would hurt. Yeah, it would. That would hurt. So uh, I guess all in all, it, it should be obvious based on the this podcast, prior two podcasts, and even the Nagashino podcast that guns were not hated by the samurai. They weren't necessarily given up uh, for any other reasons than utilitarian reasons that uh, it's it's unwieldy to carry around a, a, an arquebus and not to mention you already are armed. You have a weapon with you, why would you carry around a weapon that you have to muzzle load that is unwieldy in a, in a fight, in, basically in the type of fight you're going to co- come across in the Edo period. Right. And But we also did establish that when there is an actual battle, like Osaka Castle, Shimabara Rebellion, and then the... Uh, you know, 1877, they they did deploy uh, guns. So, the the sort of the myth of the honorable samurai uh, hating guns is just that it's a myth. Um, although I did want to mention uh, again, if you I don't believe that, it, then I suggest that it's because you don't want to believe it, and you know, enjoy your anime. Right, and I did mention the, one of the prior podcasts, but uh, in 1649, uh, which is after the Shimabara Rebellion in the Edo period, uh, the Toku, the standing Tokugawa army was 16 percent arquebus. Uh, 16% of the army was uh, equipped with, with uh, firearms. So even at that point, early into the Edo period, and then again at the end of the Edo period with uh, the Russian incursions into northern Japan uh, and the gun battles, and uh, the fact that they also had gunnery instructors in the clans in Japan, pretty much point to the fact that guns were there. They weren't they weren't necessary all the time, and they weren't really used because it wasn't utilitarian to use them. I think it's pretty much a fact that the samurai didn't give up the guns because they didn't like them because they were dishonorable and I think we've pretty much put that myth to rest I hope I, so I just googled Edo Jidai and Teppo and came up with um, an incident in 1811 where the lords of Hikone put in an order with the Kunitomo um, to buy a whole bunch of guns well there you go So there's another example there you go they certainly maintained guns in their arsenals and if the Kunitomo were still producing in 1811 then I mean, Certainly, they, for the not just this one order in 1811, right. but orders, you know, they would have had to have been producing over the previous 200 years right. in order to maintain the ability to do so. so. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I think we're. I, I, I think if if somebody still thinks that the samurai hated guns and and uh, didn't uh, use guns after this podcast, then um, they're probably not listening to this podcast because they're probably too busy playing uh, watching you know, samurai warriors on on the PlayStation or something. So I, I guess that basically wraps up this podcast. Uh, we'd really appreciate some feedback, especially uh, maybe topics you'd like us to tackle. You can reach us at samuraipodcast at gmail.com and on Twitter at Samurai Archives. And uh, most likely our next podcast will be another Myth Buster podcast uh, looking at uh, uh, the uh, myth of uh, the Honorable Samurai. All right. All right. Well, so sounds that's, good. Uh, that's, uh, that's a wrap from the uh, SA Studios uh, in uh, University of Hawaii where it is currently about 94 degrees Fahrenheit. That's not the outside temperature, that's just inside the studio. Yes. Uh, outside is lovely. But uh, anyway, that's uh, pretty much a wrap for today, and uh, we thank you for your patronage. Bye bye. Peace out.